now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, Daily Garden Tips, and of course lots of snark. The uh, Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on. And I, I would like you, if you would, to take part in a survey I have both on Twitter and at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page on how much time you spend gardening. Uh, put this up a few days ago, and it'll be up for another few days. And the question I ask is, how many hours per week do you spend on garden and lawn care? Now, on Facebook, you only get two choices. On Twitter, you get four choices. On Facebook... It was, the choices are, do you spend less than three hours or more than three hours on gardening or lawn care? On Twitter, with four choices, it was under an hour, one to three hours, three to six hours, or more than six hours. So I want you to think about that. And then maybe either go to at uh, Farmer Fred on Twitter or the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page and vote. And we'll talk about those totals a little bit later on. I find the totals very interesting. And... This is in comparison to a national survey done by the uh, Labor Bureau that actually asked the question, how much time do you spend gardening and lawn care each week? And the national average is 70 minutes, which seems like I I do that without thinking about it type amount of time. Uh, But most people want to do less The National Garden Bureau does a survey every year, and one of the survey questions they ask every year is, how much time do you want to spend in the yard working? And the majority answer is always less than an hour. Well, in that regard, that's why the conversation I want to be having with you next Saturday at Harvest Day at 8.30 in the morning at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is Garden Time Savers. How to Automate, Elevate, Eliminate, and Delegate. Yes, I'm making a rare personal public appearance for absolutely no monetary gain at at Fair Oaks Horticulture Center as part of the Master Gardeners of Sacramento County's Harvest Day. And we're going to be talking about Harvest Day. With me are are two eminent Master Gardeners, Judy McClure. I guess you're a Master Gardener, Judy. I am technically. I went through the program way back in 1988. All right. Uh... And you're in charge of the program. I am now. I have the privilege of uh, working with our over 200 master gardeners and helping them educate the public. 200? Yes, we're over 200 now. Whoa, I remember when it was just 50. (laughs) That was a while back. (laughs) Yeah, wow. And what's great about these volunteers, these master gardeners, who basically, in exchange for getting all sorts of great horticultural knowledge, you basically spew it back to the public for 25 hours a year. Or 50 hours a year, depending upon uh, how long you've been a master gardener. And it's easy to do because you can do all sorts of fun things, like you can go to the state fair and answer questions at the booth there or maybe at a, a farmer's market or volunteer at a school or any other normal uh, organizations, setting up school gardens, community gardens, and or giving speeches or whatever. And we're one of the few uh, organizations that still answer live on the telephone, too, if you want to call our office. Um, one thing, you know, on that survey, I'm not so sure we would be able to put very many hours down. 
master gardeners are so busy out in the community, I'm a little perplexed how they're taking care of their own gardens. They find a way. They find a way. I mean, I was amazed at the number of responses I got from people who say, hours per week, how about hours per day It's type of answers where, you know, for some people, uh, it, it, it's their favorite hobby. You know, when I stroll out, when I get up in the morning, I go outside right away. Yeah. I just stroll around, look, see what little insects are poking around, butterflies are flying around. And to me, that is what grounds me for the day and keeps me from going crazy, particularly listening to the news nowadays. It is. I think that's the biggest benefit of gardening is that plants don't talk back. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> and uh, you, you can get a lot done. But as uh, uh, Gail, I'm sure you would agree with me that gardening is kind of an ADD profession where you go out to the yard to do something. You have a task in mind. You get sidetracked. And that sidetracks you to something else. And after three or four hours, you ask yourself, now, why did I come out here originally? <laughs> Absolutely. I do have a sign in my greenhouse that said spending an hour in the garden is uh, an hour of therapy. That's my therapy. And I find that I do get distracted. I have to take a timer out with me now. If I turn on a hose bib, I have to have a timer with me or I will get distracted and forget that the water is on. So that's my big bugaboo is trying to keep track of the hoses that are on mm -hmm. if I do them manually. There's an but app for that. There is. I know. I <laughs> have to take some training, I'm sure, to learn how to use it. But but I get really distracted. I'll start to prune something or deadhead, and then I turn this water on, and then I see we've got some insect issues. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's I'm pretty distracted in the garden. A popular piece of backyard garden art these days is an old rural mailbox on a post. Mm, and, in that old, and in that old rural mailbox, you keep those hand tools handy because i'm always losing tools well that always. and you, you you go out and you you need pruning done right away so where's the quickest pruners well how about over in the mailbox exactly yeah so you don't want to go back to the garage to get the pruners because you're going to find something on your way back to the garage that's going to get your attention in fact that's on my list of things to buy is an old mailbox so i can do that because i always misplace my tools and if i had one place for them that would be great Speaking of tools, Judy McClure, at Harvest Day next Saturday, there's going to be a lot of, of, of vendors and educational tables, and some of those are tool-related. There is. We, this year we've added Vesco uh, Italian Tools. The fellow's coming from back east, and he wants to introduce his tools to the uh, west coast. And so bring your checkbook. They're uh, excellent made Italian gardening tools, pruners, loppers, saws. And a lot of our friends uh, from the industry will be there. Uh, I'm sure Rex and Kellogg Garden Products will be there with uh, explaining about all their soil amendments. Uh, Phil and the gang from uh, Dave Wilson Nursery will be out there talking about backyard orchard culture and uh, caring for your deciduous fruit trees. And there is no better example of backyard orchard culture than the orchard at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. We've been talking for years about the benefits of, don't think of them as fruit trees, think of them as fruit bushes. And keeping those trees, your plums, your peaches, your nectarines, your pears, whatever, at only six or seven feet tall. People always say, well, you never get enough fruit on it that way. Go out to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, take a walk in the orchard of six to seven foot tall trees. You will be amazed at the amount of fruit on those trees. Oh, it's, it is. It's absolutely amazing. We uh, harvest enough to send to the food banks every week. And what's interesting, when you go into the orchard now and you see the shorter trees, 
look off to the far corner and you see a, a normal size fig tree mm-hmm. and it looks absolutely enormous <laughs> and out of proportion for the the site but they have the fig tree where there's a multiple different varieties grafted onto it and you can walk into the middle and kind of stand and look up into the inner workings of the fig tree there's a few fruit trees like that that are multi-budded fruit trees out there there's the great cherry tree experiment going on out there with uh, a multi-budded cherry tree that was under a tent a while back. I don't know if it's still under a tent or not. Uh, actually, one of our speakers that we have at Harvest Day, K- Carrie Wimbell Rojas, did a um, talk for us at the Fairbanks Horticulture Center a couple months back on Espalier, and she was there when the tent was on the cherry tree, and she spent a portion of her presentation specifically talking about how the tent protected the tree. And during her talk at Harvest Day, she's doing a talk on good bugs and cool tools. And the cool tools will include things like tenting plants and putting tarps over, uh, not tarps, but um, covers over fruit trees to protect them from insects and diseases. We should point out that there will be a lot of mini workshops and demos going on at Harvest Day about composting uh, up at the vineyard, the water-efficient landscape, the orchard. And, Gail, I would imagine you're going to be answering some questions over in the vegetable area about all the things growing in the raised beds. We will. And just this last week or so, we have encountered some insect and disease problems. You're a typical gardener, Gail. You're just pointing (laughs) out the mistakes. How many of us walk into our backyard with a guest and all we do is point out everything that's wrong? (laughs) When the other person says, this is fabulous, and all you can see is the bad stuff. Well, the the garden does look fabulous. Everything is doing very well. But um, just yesterday at our workday, we noticed that one of our summer squash has watermelon mosaic virus. So we will have educational signs up (laughs) pointing out problems that we have, insects. We have an outbreak of aphids on our um, asparagus, but we have all stages of lady beetles on it. So we'll have a sign for that. So... Yeah, we do showcase our problems, but we also tell you how to manage them. And there will be people there to answer your questions, too. Correct. Yeah, and we do have insect collections that show good bugs and bad bugs that we've collected in the uh, vegetable garden. Mm-hmm. So you can tell the difference between, say, a leaf-footed bug that's bad and an assassin bug that's good. They look very similar. Yeah. And last hour, we talked to a master gardener who is going to be out there in the water-efficient landscape pointing out all the good bugs and, and their various life stages as well. Right. And... Uh, Knock on wood, we have not had too many insect problems this year. Usually by this time, we have squash bugs. Haven't had any yet. Oh, you better knock on wood. I know. (laughs) And we found our first brown marmorated stink bug nymph yesterday. It's been confirmed that that's what it is. So we've been pretty lucky so far. No leaf-footed bugs? Yeah, those are the only ones we have. They started about two weeks ago. All right. So if you have a bug problem at your home, uh, come on out to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center next Saturday, and you may see a close friend of that bug. Uh, And you can get more information about uh, how you can help out your yard to battle that bug. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk to another master gardener. When we come back, as we continue with the KFBK, where are we? Get growing on Talk 650 KSDE. Mike Murray staring at me like, Fred, how long have you been doing this show? 26 years. (laughs) It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. 
Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to be talking with Vic- Vicki Marie Ward. She works out at the orchard at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and we've been talking about backyard orchard culture and all the benefits of growing your fruit trees at a reasonable height, such as eight feet or so. And that's uh, a great way to go, especially in this day of smaller yards. You can have a lot more trees in the backyard if they're a lot smaller. So we'll be talking to her about uh, the backyard orchard and what you're going to see out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. We'll talk to her in a few minutes. Judy McClure and Gail Pothauer are here from the Master Gardeners, and we're talking about Harvest Day. We talked about some of the main speakers that will be out there. We've, uh, For whatever reason, I'll be talking out there at 830 about uh, garden time savers. And then, uh, Judy, who comes up at 945? I'm not on. There you go. There now you're on. on. Good for Woo-hoo. you. At 945, uh, Carrie Wimbell Rojas, who is the area IPM advisor uh, with the statewide IPM program, is going to talk about good bugs and cool tools. And she'll also be available on site uh, most of the morning to answer one-on-one insect questions also. And then Quentin Young is going to be talking. We've had Q on the show. He's a master gardener, also the manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. And he loves the odd vegetables. You know, Quentin is a very engaging young fella and very popular in the community. People specifically come out to the Horticulture Center to meet with him and talk. So, yes, he's back by popular demand, and he'll be uh, bringing in his young, urban, hip angle to uh, unusual edibles. Why are you looking (laughs) me like that? (laughs) I'm looking at you because every woman I know loves Quentin. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm technically his boss, yes. so I'm just going to say he's highly educated <laughs> and very <laughs> engaging. <laughs> okay, but but he'll be uh, speaking out there at 11 o'clock, and you have a tent now for the speakers. We do. Uh, we are very fortunate that the Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery is our sponsor of our speakers tent this year, and so we'll showcase that name very proudly, and plenty of shade and plenty of seats. And uh, it's inspected by the fire marshal, so we're in good shape. All right. Then there, there are going to be a lot of mini workshops as well. Yes. By um, popular demand, we have definitely increased our number of mini, uh, what we call mini talks. They're 15, 20 minutes in length, and we scatter them throughout the horticulture center. The most popular ones are the compost area ones where we talk about setting up worm bins and um, also how to do hot compost, how to mm. took. To Turn your garbage into black gold. And, of course, the vineyard is going to talk about how to train the grapevines and how to identify pests and problems in the vineyard. Very few of them, but they're important ones. And one of the most popular trendy things right now in the garden is succulents. Mm -hmm. So the well garden will have a growing succulent talk and also how to incorporate natives into the home garden since this fall is the best time of year to plan in your natives. We want to help people get uh, prepared. And for anybody who is concerned about attracting beneficials into their garden to increase the pollination on their orchard, uh, we've got to talk on mason bees because we've got a wonderful display of orchard mason bee boxes in the orchard. Now, I should point out that the Sacramento Area Beekeepers Association will have a table out there, too, at Harvest Day. So if if you have backyard bees and you have questions... Harvest Day is the place for you to go next Saturday. They'll be there and also the Hagen dazs uh, Bee Garden from UC Davis campus. Without the ice cream. <laughs> well, we do have a, a gelato vendor there to okay. cool you down. Yeah, there's food there, we should point out. We haven't pointed that out. 
Uh, you know what? We have, we're excited. We have an Ethiopian cuisine vendor this year, Queen Sheba's. They have a restaurant down on Broadway. And uh, by popular demand, uh, we listened to our visitors. They wanted Chando's Tacos to come back. So their food truck will be there. And Luciano's Scoop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hit it twice last year. What, what is it? <laughs> gelato. Oh, it's gelato. That's oh, a yeah. gelato. Okay. All right. <laughs> Cool. And for the people who need their caffeine before they uh, snuggle into their seats to listen to Fred, yeah. the uh, Java's Johnny, a local coffee vendor, will be there uh, early to start serving coffee to the public. Harvest Day next Saturday, 8 to 2. I'll be there early. Have some, save some coffee for me. There'll be about uh, 150 master gardeners there. Wow, including Vicki Marie Ward, who's usually can be found in the orchard tending to the fruit trees there. And uh, we have Vicki on the phone now. And Vicki, come harvest day, people are going to be uh, seeing what we've been talking about for years and years, these six- and seven-foot fruit trees loaded with fruit, unless you've eaten them all. Oh, no, we haven't. We have quite a few things that are coming into harvest right now. Our plums, and guess what? Our pluots. Yay, pluots. All right. Yeah. We just have finished up with our real red grapefruit. Um, most of our peaches, if not all of them, are pluaries, which are pretty new this year. And uh, we have several things that are setting, getting ready for later harvest, including lemons and limes in our, in our citrus row, apples, especially the early varieties, are just almost ready. We've got pomegranates, and we've got figs that are all getting ready. They're not They're not up to par to be harvested now, but you can see what they look like beforehand. Additionally, we have our, our uh, tropical or experimental area where we actually have pawpaws on our pawpaw tree. <laughs> and avocados. <laughs> Do we have an avocado on our avocado tree? I don't think oh, we do. No, well, you have an avocado tree. That's... We should, right, yeah. we have yes. a, li- a little cotto, and we have added the pawpaw and a guayabano, or guayabano, I think it is, also known as a soursop. And we have the atamoya and two guavas as well. And they are in a hut that we have made in the same way that we think that homeowners might be able and willing to do as well. So it's made out of kind of garden-found items that uh, can make a structure so that in the wintertime it becomes our our temporary greenhouse, and in the summertime it's a shade house for the tropicals because tropical trees are usually understory trees. They love light, but they don't want direct sunshine. I'm, glad, burns. I'm glad you're long-winded, Vicki, because I've been eating a geopride pluot while you've been talking. Uh, Gail brought one in, I hope with permission from you. Oh. We did. We oh. were we were looking specially for you this week to try and send you some pluots because we know you have a not many now. <laughs> not many, and the one I had, the squirrels took. <laughs> so I heard that story. Yes. I heard yes. that story. Speaking of squirrels, we did take the tent down from the cherry tree. Oh. We only kept it up for about three weeks. And it was very successful to the point where one of our master gardeners actually made cherry turnovers and won a first place at the state fair <laughs> with our cherries. <laughs> so go. I would like to brag just a little bit right Yeah, there. congratulations and, on yeah, that. Yeah, so there, that tells you that the quality of basically what we consider homegrown is really good. 
We, so, we should point out, too, that it, the orchard at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is not without its problems. And I, I've seen your peaches and nectarines, and some of them may get, on occasion, peach leaf curl. And if people are having problems with their peaches or nectarines uh, with the puckered leaves, uh, you can go to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center and talk to the master gardeners in the orchard. They will console you and uh, basically say, we have it, too. Absolutely. We, we, we're just like Gail's group that we tend to show off our problems because we know <laughs> that the people at home are having exactly the yeah. same type of issues. And we don't always have solutions. Sometimes we have conundrums when it comes to them because there may not be something that's available to the home grower, but there's usually something that we can do or find or work with that will, will handle it. One of the things that you were talking about earlier, and, and it's sometimes the solution, is the pruning, keeping things down to six or, six or seven feet, and because you don't have to worry about taking care of something that's over arm's reach. You don't have to climb a ladder for much in our orchard. There are a few things, but not a lot. And that means that you don't have to get up there to spray or to cut away dead wood or whatever those kind of problems might so summer pruning, especially this time of year, is a big deal because you can come to our orchard and you can see what our fruit bushes are supposed to look like. They're still trees, but they're not as tall and they're not as imposing and they're much easier to harvest and to take care of. I would imagine that at some point during Harvest Day, one of the little mini demonstrations might be uh, one of you orchard specialists demonstrating uh, summer pruning. Um, we normally will demonstrate summer pruning on the cuff, right? Yeah. Whenever somebody asks, we just take them to a tree and we say, okay, this is what we're looking for. This is what we do, and this is why. And we explain it as we go through a, a, a small process of it. We don't do a whole tree. We just might do a portion of a branch or something. But that way we can answer their questions one-on-one and, and, and help them right then and there. And they tend to walk away saying, wow, that's not hard. There you go. That's, that's a lot easier than I thought it was going to be, and it, it's very, uh, very easy to understand. So, yeah, we do that. You know, another little thing we're doing uh, in, a, in a presentation, a small demonstration, is going to be about our nine Mason D houses, um, showing the, how different styles can be set up. We really call them our condos because there's more than one place to live in each one of these houses for the, for the Mason Bees. But an interesting thing has happened, and that is that the leafcutter bees have now moved in, mm. in addition to the to the mason bees. That, that's and an okay course, thing, isn't it? They're a little bitty thing, yeah. yeah. They, they do cut leaves, but that's just to line yeah. their houses, and right. their houses are pretty small. So most yards can handle that and when it comes I to I imagine then you have plants there with those semicircular cutouts that you can point out to people and say, that is the work of the leafcutter bee. It's nothing to worry about. We, we certainly do. All right. <laughs> Not we, a lot because there aren't a lot of bees, but uh, bees are bees, and they pollinate, and we want pollinators, and we need them. So we're not about to do anything just because they're one that, ones that take advantage of our, our growing trees to build their nests. We have to run here. Vicki Marie Ward, just one of the many master gardeners you'll find out at Harvest Day next Saturday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Look for her in the orchard amongst all the six- and seven-foot-tall fruit trees. Thanks, Vicki. Absolutely. Take care, Fred. All right. 
We'll take a short break. More of Get Growing on the Way here on Talk 650 KSTE. listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Talking about Harvest Day coming up next Saturday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center with Master Gardeners Judy McClure, Gil Pothauer, and we're answering your gardening questions, whatever they may be, at 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Don't forget a garden grappler coming up at 11.05 after the news, clue available at FarmerFred.com, clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, I think. I, I'm pretty sure I put one there. If not, you should be able to figure it out. All right, let's go to the phones and talk with Sharon here on Get Growing. Sharon, how, how how's your gourds? Well, my gourds are doing fine. They right. look great, but I have a question. Um, I'm growing bushel gourds and bottle gourds. And in the last week, I've had ants on them, so I started looking for aphids. No aphids, but on the leaf, where the leaf meets the stem on either side, they seem to have created um, drinking fountains. Drinking fountains? Yes, there's a circle with an opening. There's a sticky substance coming out, um, but it looks like they're drinking the sap. Okay, so it's like a honeydew, or would it be an exudate from the fruit itself? This is on the leaf. It's on the leaf. Where the leaf meets the stem. Okay, the is petiole. It, at the base, on either side of the, there's two portals. <laughs> One on either side of the stem, where the leaf actually meets the stem. Okay, where the leaf meets and the stem. Is that called a carbuncle? I, they're like a little node. Yeah, right. And they're... Is the is the liquid kind of amber? Is the liquid kind of amber colored, or is it clear or clear? It's clear, and then sometimes amber. It depends. Uh, the longer it's not on every leaf, um, it's difficult to see. I actually was looking at it with a jeweler's loop, mm-hmm. which is why I was able to really see the detail of their little fountains. I wonder if now, there's a, some the scale leaf, in there. They yeah. don't seem to be having, it doesn't seem to be causing the leaf distress. Well, They're not good. changing colors. They're dying for the plant itself. Now, but, are you seeing any bumps there, like there's a scale, maybe? No, it's not a scale. It's almost hard to explain. It's um, There's no scale that I can see, because that was my first thought, was I have ants. What do I have that's bringing ants? What are they farming? Now, did, you, did you wash it off with water and wait a day or so and see if it comes back? Um, actually, no, because they seem to be, what I'm talking about actually seems to be in the plant. It's in the plant. It may it's look not, like it's in the plant, but it may not actually be. So you could uh, well, try washing it off with a blast of water and then come back in, say, one or two days and see if it has reappeared. And it may be, if you do think it's in the plant, uh, cut off that leaf and do some investigation into the stem and into the leaf. Well, I will do that because I do have a microscope. See, Fred um, and Gail are too busy chewing on uh, samples over there. Geopride so pluot. This is great. <laughs> no, and I'm sitting here puzzled because I've not ever seen that. 
it's in the same family as squash and melons yeah. and cucumbers, so and not I've just, not seen that. Why not just control the ants? Why not just put out some uh, ant bait, some uh, boric acid in a trap, and let them uh, take and it back yeah, to their nest? My other question was, will they bring other issues <laughs> um, to them? Not, I mean, I not that. Not the ants themselves, I wouldn't think. No. I would just I would control the ants. Yeah, and whatever else could be attracting the ants. It could also be white fly nymphs that you maybe can't see. But I don't know what this liquid that's coming out that the leaf, I'm not familiar with that. Could be heat stress. Um, I wouldn't worry about it, really. Yeah, if the plant's looking fine. If the plant looks fine, if the squash is growing normally, then your problem is ants. So why not just control the ants? And even if it was another problem, we'd still tell you to control the ants. So I think that's the bottom okay. line, your first step. Yeah. And use and an ant bait with boric acid. For Farmer Fred, um, if I can get a picture of this, sure. where would I send it to you just for your information? Fred at farmerfred.com. Okay. Yeah. No, I'd, 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 I'd love to see a picture of it. Yeah, yeah so would I. We'll, we'll, we bought uh, little... We'll, things that go on the phone and hopefully will are supposed to magnify this and i just remembered that and thought that might be a good use of this little gadget we bought yeah go ahead give it a shot what the heck cool sharon well, thank you for your help like i said i've been i thought about it last weekend and i was like eh, it's not too bad because that's pretty much when they started was friday sharon you're a I scientist i can tell no go not on. a scientist at all just i I spend more than an hour in my garden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's a very small garden. Well, it's easy to do. It's fun. All right. Yes. Sharon, thanks. Good Thank luck. You. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right. Let's talk with Ken in Arden Park here on Get Growing. Ken, how are your fruit trees doing? Oh, not too well. They're doing okay, Fred. Um, I've told you before. I never talked to you about fire blight. We got this, um, we've got about half a dozen trees on the front of our property, and they were all affected by this doggone fire blight to a degree. What kind of and trees? It's a, it's a browning of the leaves. Yeah, what what kind of trees are they? Uh, fruitless or um, tra- flowering crab apples. Okay, crab apples. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I've cut a few of them out, but I've heard different stories about how far back to cut and and whether you got to soak your your cutting blade in some kind of an ammonia solution or something. It's a it's a real pain in the it's a real difficult thing to do. When you got um, it's as widespread as we have, so I'm wondering what the best solution might be, and how far back can we cut back on the uh, on the limbs, Fred? I'm going to let Judy answer that because she's very familiar with an experiment that uh, Sacramento County Farm Advisor Chuck Engels did several years ago on that very exact question about how far to cut back to remove a fire blight infected branch. Oh, great! Thank you. You know, he had to pull off a little bit on that. Uh project because there wasn't enough fire blight samples available the last couple of years. Our weather didn't cooperate. But I should I, give him my address. He could come out to my place and take a look. I think the future future will probably change that, though. But generally speaking, they tell you to cut 12 inches down. No, 12 not, inches down, okay. Into healthy wood, yeah. Into healthy wood, but not everybody has that much mm-hmm. of growth to cut out. So sometimes you do have to sacrifice for the future, uh, okay. cut some down. And then uh, depending on what you read, will determine whether you need to um, uh, sterilize. Thank you. Sterilize yeah. your pruners or not. Um, I understand there are some sprays out there you can also spray on, but I don't know that UCIPM recommends that. And, um, Fred, you want to add in? You're scrunching up your face there like maybe I'm telling good lies over here. 
No, it, it's. I, I think there is more damage done by people soaking their tools in Clorox or some sort of chlorine bleach than there is actual the danger of passing infection. I remember. Okay. I remember Chuck saying that, as try as he might, he couldn't. He couldn't transfer the fire blight to a healthy portion. Okay, uh, so so twelve inches is a magic number, then. Yeah, Correct. into healthy wood. And, yeah, yeah. And as far as I would clean my tools at the very end, I wouldn't soak my tools between every cut at the very. What, that's going to speed up my job a lot. That's my <laughs> whole job a long here. Long time dipping my tools every time I made a cut. Yeah. No. No. Garden now, time saver. Now the key is if you do decide to dip it, make sure you don't go more than ten percent of the bleach and okay, then again gotcha. make sure you really do clean your tools when you're done and you may need to oil them too before you put them yeah. on definitely yeah, yeah. dry okay, yeah. yeah oil dry clean everything and yeah do not leave the bleach sitting on the tools and gotcha. hey do, thanks very much okay ken thanks for calling okay fred all right bye see he knows when we have to take a commercial so we will when we come back we're going to be talking with andy mcdonald she works at the water efficient landscape area of the fair Oaks horticulture center And if you're looking for colorful plants that don't require much water, you'll want to hear what Andy has to say when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. We're uh, shamelessly shilling for Harvest Day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's next Saturday. It's a free event. And... (laughs) <laughs> Gail Pothauer is standing next to me here, and she brought in some samples of what they've been harvesting at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Did you leave one of those at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center for people to see oh, on yeah. the vine? Oh, yeah. There's All right. Plenty. She's pointing at this tomato, and I'm pointing at this tomato that is easily three pounds, four easily. pounds. Easily. It's about eight inches across. And it is huge. What variety is that? This is Atlas. Atlas. It's, it's a new introduction by Burpee this year. Yeah, and how many did you get on um, that plant? It's a small plant. We're growing it in a wine barrel. It was bred for container. And it has had probably a dozen of these really? huge. Really? Yeah, we've harvested wow. five or six, and there's still eight on the plant that are just starting to ripen. Usually with a beefsteak, you get one or two, and that's about it. That That's the, the curse of the brandy wine, if you will. But this atlas, you're getting eight to ten of these, on. and how tall is the plant? It's short. It's probably two and a half feet tall. Really? Yeah, And but all the production is in one spot, so it's not okay. setting new fruit. Do you have to thin it out? We haven't. We have found it difficult to get it out of the tomato cage. It's out of concrete reinforcing wire, yeah. and they get wedged in there. Well, yeah. There's so many of them. It's wider than a six-inch <laughs> opening. It is. Yeah. yeah. We've had difficulty getting them out. What the heck do you do with a tomato that size? You uh, bring not- in a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> and what we've noticed is they have a lot of cat facing on the bottom, which mm-hmm. cat facing is really common on heirlooms. So right. I was surprised. Usually in hybrids, they breed that out. Well, yeah, except something that grows that fast and yeah. that big. You know, I'm not surprised there isn't some cracking involved. Uh, but still, that's a huge tomato, the Atlas. Mm-hmm. And you got 8 to 10 on a 2-and-a-half-foot-tall plant. Yeah, then it's, it's amazing. Wow. <laughs> All right. Don't know what they taste like. Haven't tasted them yet. Oh, okay. So it's the great unknown. After all, that is the key, isn't <laughs> that, it? That's yes. true. All right, unless you just want to show off. Now, Andy McDonald would never show off. She's here. Andy McDonald's a master <laughs> gardener out of the water-efficient landscape. And, Andy, if there's anybody that should brag, it's you because 
what a gorgeous blooming garden the water efficient landscape is right now oh well thank you (laughs) there's a lot of us who work on it that's true Uh, it it takes a lot of people because there are many sectors when you walk into the fair oaks horticulture center and you turn to the left voila there is the water efficient landscape judy when did the water efficient landscape go in oh that's a math question um (laughs) 2000 does that sound right andy Twenty. Uh, oh, oh, the whole, oh, the whole garden, the the whole well section. I think it was. was I think it was two thousand three. Yeah, it was after. Okay, so it's got became, it's yeah. got a few. It's a teenager now. All right. Oh, yeah. it's a relatively young. Yeah. Yes, definitely is a young garden. But still, there's something always in bloom. What will people see in bloom in the water efficient landscape next Saturday? Well, <laughs> there's a lot blooming right now. One of the first things you'll see when you walk in is. Um, Straight back, we've got a new plant that we've put in. Uh, it's called the Mexican Bird of Paradise, mm-hmm. which is a Cecilpenia gillesii. Okay, and it's um, it's. We thought it was a brand new plant, but apparently we have had a lot of people coming in telling us that their grandmothers grew it, and it's a uh, it's this kind of a shrub cross between a shrub and a tree and it um has very light airy leaves and large yellow flowers and it's blooming right now but they're they're long they're large yellow flowers with these long red stamens in the center so that's very striking um anyway that's blooming right now as you walk in when you when you one of the first things that you see and then we also have banks of um just let's see We've got you got salvias galore. We do have salvias. That's up, yeah, that's up higher. Um, we've got uh, the cone flowers. We've got um, it's just like a riot of color. We have a lot of sunflowers blooming right now. Lantana, a lot of lantana. Lots I of lantana and, and rudbeckia is gorgeous. Oh, rudbeckia is crazy beautiful. So it's very colorful. Now, what's great about the the water-efficient landscape, if you're wondering what a plant is, there usually isn't a sign too far away that will identify the plant because that uh, plant is probably duplicated in several spots in the water-efficient landscape, and one of those plants will have a sign identifying it. We have yes, we have we've been working on our signage, and uh, just about everything is identified. Great, and uh, you're going to get some great ideas. I like to visit the water-efficient landscape at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. I like to go out there monthly just to see what's in bloom to get some ideas for my own yard. And you have full sun areas, you have part shade areas, you even have some fairly full shade areas where these plants are growing. Yes. Yes, we have all all kinds of different um, lighting examples out there. And when you visit uh, the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, like you say, there is all these wonderful perennials that are out there. And the trees, and yeah, people forget too about the smoke trees that are out there, and they're they're just gorgeous. They are, and they're 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 in they're in bloom right now as well. Mm, okay, and they're right at the entrance. I'm anxious for the new mesquite that you've put in. That's such a pretty tree. That is yes, we're very proud of that. Uh, it's the Parkinsonia Desert Museum, which is like a, a thornless Palo Verde. Um, it's it's really taken off, so we know it loves its area. It did have bright yellow flowers on it, but the flowers are gone right now. But the, the foliage is beautiful, and it's, the trunk of the tree is a, a dark green color mm. and very smooth. The, the trunk itself is very striking, but it's a light, airy, lovely tree. 
it's a water efficient landscape and the watering I know it varies from area to area there but generally speaking how much irrigation is going on in that area I think we're doing once a week for that section for the Mediterranean section and then some of the other as you go further up the hill some of it's less mm. but a lot of the plants that we put in the new plants we irrigate more once they're established though very little irrigation and you're go- if you're looking to attract pollinators to your yard definitely pay a visit to the uh, water efficient landscape at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center because notice all the plants that have bees buzzing around them or hummingbirds flitting around or butterflies lots uh, yes we do in fact all of all of the sections we've got plants that are uh, attract pollinators and some of the ones to really notice right now, the Mexican bird of par- or uh, I'm sorry, the um, the lion's tail is blooming, and that's a, like a hummingbird magnet. Mm. And the salvias, a lot we have a lot of salvias that are in bloom right now, which are also attracting a lot of pollinators. So we see a, we see a lot of the a lot of the pollinators from hummingbirds to bees to butterflies are all all throughout the garden. Part of the unpaid help at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and I'm referring to the bees and the hummingbirds, not necessarily Andy. But Andy McDonald, (laughs) thanks for spending a few minutes with us talking about that and see you at Harvest Day next Saturday. Okay, thank you. All right. We're talking Harvest Day here, but we haven't forgotten about the Garden Grappler. That's coming up after the news at 11 o'clock, and uh, we're going to be talking composting as well. Uh, A little bit later on, interesting talk about chili peppers, too. So that'll be coming up. And uh, if you want a clue for the Garden Grappler, there's one at FarmerFred.com. Just uh, click on the link that says a clue for the Garden Grappler at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. I believe under the uh, picture I have of the uh, zucchini tomatoes and peppers we harvested in our tiny little garden, uh, it was uh, there's a clue available. By the way, the peppers in that picture are purple peppers, and it is the tequila pepper. And it is one of my favorite sweet peppers it's a former All-America Selections Award winner, and it's a gorgeous bell-type pepper that is just striking in color, and I just love the aroma of it as well. And it, unlike a lot of other award winners, sometimes they peter out after a few years. I don't know why that is, but in this case, every year with fresh seed, it comes back, and it's it's beautiful from every year. It's been a success every year. I can't say that about too many of those AAS winners that are out there. So I'm glad the tequila is a permanent part of my pepper collection, if you will. But uh, check that out if you're looking for the clue for the garden grappler. Judy and Gail will be judging the quality of your garden grappler answers. They don't even know what the question is, but they'll figure it out too. And they may even chime in with their own answer. In hour number two of Get Growing, it'll be the garden grappler coming up right after the news here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE, and the iHeartRadio app. It's Get Growing. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. I was just telling my guests here, Judy McClure and Gail Pothauer, Master Gardeners, that if the phones don't start uh, ringing immediately after I read this question, I'm just going to walk out the door and go home and go ride my bike the rest of my life. So I I think there will be a good response to this question. 
The question, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio, the question is, name a California nursery and tell us what you like about it. Name a California nursery and tell us what you like about it. And I specified California just because Charlie in Brooklyn, I just don't know who the nurseries are in, in New York, so I can't verify the answer. But if you're here in California, chances are one of the three of us will have heard of the nursery that you mentioned. Don't, don't be tricky with us either. So name a California nursery and tell us what you like about it. The number's to call. 916-576-1578. 916-576-1578. Or 866 331 8255-866-331-8255. Mike, you ready in there? All right, Mike's ready to to handle all this information that will come flooding in for the garden grappler. And and Judy knows every nursery in California, so I'm not too worried I'm about thinking, that. I'm thinking if one of your callers lists one of the uh, local nurseries that's uh, sponsored for Harvest Day, that we will have your guest be honored to come to Harvest Day and purchase the 2019 Master Gardener and Master Food Preserver Gardening and Preserving Guide. That's a mouthful, but it's hot off the press at Harvest Day. And I think your guests, your um, listeners should be honored to buy one of those. How's that for a plug? How about modifying to say you will give them one if they mention one of the nurseries mentioned. I'd be honored to do that. Okay. Yeah. See? See, I'm thinking about you folks out there. I'll even let Fred Hoffman autograph it before we mail it out. <laughs> okay. That's, that'll, <laughs> that'll add at least 10 cents to the value of that. All right. So name <laughs> name a, a California nursery and why you like it. And if it happens to be on the list of educational tables or uh, vendors. Sponsors. Sponsors of of the Harvest Day event at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center next Saturday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. My heavens, Judy will give you the new 2019 calendar uh, with a signature on it. With Fred Hoffman's signature, and it's packed full of gardening and preserving information. That's so cool that you've combined the work of the master gardeners and the master food preservers in one handy-dandy 12-month reference. We're very proud of it. Yeah, you should be. I, I can't wait to see it. All right, and while you're ruminating on that one, let's uh, talk with Susan Mucky. Susan is a master gardener. Susan's up with the worms in the compost doing her thing, and that is a great... If, you're, if you want to get into composting or vermicomposting with worms, you need to pay a visit to the composting section out there at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center because, A, you're going to see many different styles of composting bins, and, B, it's always fun to play with worms. Susan, how are you? Good. All right. What are you going to be uh, talking to people about next Saturday? Well, we have three classes on uh, regular composting, including hot composting. And then we're also going to be giving three classes on worm bins, uh, you know, how to set up your worm bin, um, how to care for your worms, what your worms like to eat, uh, the conditions your worms like to live in. Uh, the values of worm composting. So it, those are very good classes, very informative. All right. And I, I mentioned all the bins that are out there, and you still have an array of different composting style bins, don't you? 
We do. We have uh, what we call a no-turn style, which might appeal to a lot of people if they don't want to turn their compost bin. It's a bird's nest, and uh, we have one in our area, in the compost area, and we also have one in the water uh, well, the water-efficient landscape areas. And another type of bin that we have there is what we call a geo-bin, and we really like those because they're easy to set up. They don't cost a lot, and they actually produce a very fine grade of compost. They're quite easy to use. And then a couple years ago, we built a Sunset Magazine Perfect Compost Bin, which we also really like Mm. a lot. And you have the tumblers, too, don't you? We have the tumblers, and we're actually, they're more difficult to use because they're not as open. There's not as much space in them because to really uh, compost efficiently, you need about a 3 by 3 by 3 space so that things actually heat up. All right. And, yeah, in fact, if people want more information about that, I'm sure you'll supply it at uh, the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on Harvest Day. But online, if you... uh, Google the phrase rapid composting method, University of California. You'll find a great informational sheet that uh, Dr. Bob Robbie put together many years ago about how you can have workable compost in as little as two or three weeks using the rapid composting method, using exactly those dimensions of three feet by three feet by three feet. Usually it's more like uh, six to eight weeks. I don't think anybody, well, they may have done it if they have every, all the conditions perfect, but I would say for the home gardener that wants to rapid compost or hot compost, it's more like six to eight weeks. Okay. That's still, that's quick. It's very quick because if you, if you compost the way most of us do, which is cold composting, you're looking about uh, four months, five months, and that's uh, turning your compost pile when you get around to it. I like to call it passive composting. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So if you want to learn more about composting and working with worms and and harvesting those wonderful worm castings that are so valuable, uh, you can find out more next Saturday at Harvest Day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center going on from 8 until 2 o'clock. Master Gardeners Galore will be out there to answer your questions, including uh, Susan Muckey up uh, over in the composting section. And the compost team will be running around in forest green shirts that say compost happens on the front and got worms on the back. (laughs) All right. That's how you identify them. That's right. Excellent shirt there. All right. Hey, Susan, thanks for a few minutes of your time today. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, we should mention that down the hill from the composting section is the vegetable section. And I love the raised beds they have there and everything you can learn about raised bed design and how to irrigate raised beds and just all the stuff they're growing there. And that would be the bailiwick, one of my favorite words, bailiwick, with uh, Gail Pothauer. And Gail, tell us what you're growing this year up in the vegetable section. Well, we have nine raised beds. And in one of our small raised beds, we're doing a basil variety trial. When you say... uh, Small raised bed. What are the dimensions? This one is three feet wide by about eight feet long and maybe 24 inches tall. That's one of our smaller beds. That's tall. Yeah, our other beds are 18 inches tall, four feet wide, 20 feet long. Okay. But for uh, uh, those of us in suburban purgatory, a four by eight bed is pretty roomy. (laughs) Right. And uh, we have a lot of things growing in half wine barrels. A lot of people don't have room in their landscapes anymore for a big garden. 
So we try to feature things that can grow well in containers. So we do have, I think it's 10, uh, 9 or 10 half wine barrels. We also have kind of an oval-shaped galvanized trough. It's an old horse trough. And we have a hanging basket, we have a grow bag, and then we have things growing in straw bales, which is essentially a container, a temporary raised bed container type thing. So we have a lot of things to showcase that how you can grow things in a small space. And also, we grow a lot of things up. So in our raised beds, we try to grow things vertically rather than have them take up a lot of landscape in the beds. So we have a variety of trellising systems that we're showcasing whether it's metal trellises, something out of bamboo, um, it might be a cattle panel. Our melons grow up on a cattle panel. Um, we constructed some trellising for a huge winter squash, and it has completely covered it. So there's a lot of things to see that you can do in your own garden to get your vegetables to grow up for better air circulation, and you can get more things in a smaller space. What, what are you supporting the fruit with on the melon uh, yeah, on the melons, um, because we're growing musk melons this year, which in our um, in the U.S. they're cantaloupes, but they're mm -hmm. really musk melons, and they slip from the vine when they're ripe. So when we grow them up a trellis, if we're not there to catch it at the exact moment it's ready to fall, it will fall to the ground and could split. So we use anything stretchy, like a piece of um, old T-shirts, my old pantyhose that I no longer wear because I'm retired, I cut those into <laughs> strips and I use that to sling the melons. And so anything like that that you can hold to support it so it won't fall. All right, and then you get some great ideas there on supporting that. Right. And I imagine that you've, uh, you're done harvesting onions and garlic? We are. We did, um, didn't do any onions this year. We did a 14-variety garlic trial this year, mm. and we harvested them oh, a month or so ago, and we actually did a tasting for an article for our newsletter. And that was quite the experience to do raw garlic tasting of 14 varieties. And then we also did them roasted. Was there a winner? There was. Um, the, the biggest, well, what we found was in raw tasting, they all kind of tasted different. Some were metallic, mm -hmm. some were grassy, a lot more spicy. But once we roasted them, they all tasted the same. Buttery. And bland was <laughs> the word. That bland and mild or yeah. very bland or very mild would seem to be the... <laughs> the best description. But uh, Spanish Roja is always a good one. Mm -hmm. It's a hard neck that has a real complex flavor. Carpathian did well. Music, which is a soft neck, I believe it's a soft neck. No, it's a hard neck. neck. It's a hard neck. Yeah. It did well. Um, so it was an interesting thing that we probably won't do again just because tasting 14 varieties of raw garlic was a little overwhelming. <laughs> Uh, and and there are side effects. I can I can vouch for that. I once did a garlic tasting on the air, and oh. uh, it, it lingered with <laughs> me for man. days. Yeah. All right. We we need to take a break. When we come back, we'll get to the Garden Grappler answers. We have one open line at 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255, or 916-576-1578. Today's Garden Grappler question, name a California nursery. Tell us what you like about it. And as I said, there's one open line. By the way, have an alternate answer in case somebody uh, takes your answer because uh, all answers have to be original. So have a backup answer. So we'll get to your answers on uh, the Garden Grappler coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right. I think it's a pretty easy garden grappler. Name a California nursery and tell us what you like about it. I mean, the only sticking point is if somebody mentions the nursery you were going to mention, have a backup answer just in case. The judges for today's garden grappler from the Master Gardeners here in Sacramento County, Judy McClure, Gail Pothauer. And up first, it is Diana in Woodbridge. So, Diana, tell us about your favorite California nursery. Well, my favorite nursery is Holland Dutch, Mm. and it's on Davis Road in between Lodi and Stockton. And the people there are very knowledgeable and very, very nice, Um, and they have just just about anything you want and it's it's just uh it's a great experience to go there my my husband loves bonsai and so he just enjoys going there and looking at the bonsai trees and and there's just always oh well i get gifts there my sister the only thing i buy my sister pretty much is something for the garden so i always find something fun there well so. good i i don't think anybody else is going to mention holland dutch but good for you. I'm glad you, you, you are representative of the South County area, and I yes. appreciate that. Yes. That's right. <laughs> All right. That, now, Gail and Judy, you've both heard of Holland Dutch, haven't you? I approve of the answer. Okay. All right. There I, you go. And I've added it to my list of places to go. I've not heard of it. Oh, yeah. No, oh, it's, it, it's a great nursery. Yeah. That's the whole idea of this garden grappler, get people on the road. So I tell you, what do we have for everybody today, Fred? Uh, everybody gets, uh, uh, oh, here he is. <laughs> I lost my place. Oh, you you get the heads up on my little talk, the Garden Time Savers. So I'll be sending you that uh, handout, along with uh, from UCIPM, their guidelines for controlling ants, and we all have ants. So, Diane, I'll be sending that your way. Well, super. All Thank right. You thank, so much. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Thank all right. You. Good answer, Holland Dutch. Carl, or number two, it's Roberta in Garden Valley. So, Roberta, what nursery uh, do you like? Well, my favorite one is Green Acres. Because I'm disabled and I can't walk very long. So they have those little electric carts that I can toodle around all over the place and check everything yeah. out. They have a, a very wide selection. Uh, it's easy to get around. Uh, and their staff is just outstanding, not only for their knowledge, but for their helping hand because... God knows I need it. <laughs> Good answer there. Which Green Acres do you go to? I usually go to the one in Folsom because uh, I used to work in Folsom, and I I go down there for the doctors and stuff like that. All right. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's pretty close for me. Beautiful facility, too. And Judy, uh, Green Acres, I think, uh, has something to do with Harvest Day. Green Acres is a, a huge supporter of the Master Gardener programs in Northern California, including our Harvest Day event. They're one of our uh, Harvest Gold sponsors, and they will have an educational table there also, so you can come out and talk to to Greg Gayton, one of our favorite people. Yeah, what else? You you're the one that mentioned this, Judy. The free calendar. She, yeah. Oh 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 uh, yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now the only problem is, Roberta, you have to go to Harvest Day to get it. Oh, I think I could probably find my way down there. I used to live in Orangeville. Okay, good. All, All right. right. Oh. Okay. I think Gail got or Judy got herself in more trouble here than she expected. No. Uh, and where, where do I pick it up at? at what booth? Probably at as at the entrance. I would think at the. Um, we will have it at the welcome uh, table for you. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Good going, Roberta. All right. 
Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. I've made a note of that, and, I, and Judy, I will send you all the pertinent information about these people. Perfect. All right. Uh, caller number three in today's Garden Grappler, it's Zella in Lincoln. So, Zella, go ahead and uh, give us your uh, story about your favorite California nursery. Hi, Han Nursery in Loomis. There you go. And why do you like it? I love the grounds. It's so much to see, and the staff is wonderful. Exactly. Uh, High Hand Nursery, uh, uh, famous uh, for their maple trees especially. It's a beautiful canopy of Japanese maples you walk under uh, while strolling the grounds there at High Hand Nursery. Correct. All right. Hey, I've got for you from uh, the UCIPM folks uh, controlling ants and also from the Farmer Fred uh, inkjet printer, the uh, handout that I'll be talking about next Saturday at Harvest Day called Garden Time Savers, Automate, Elevate, Eliminate, and Delegate. I'll be sending that your way, Zella. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler, it's Marie in Elk Grove. So, Marie, what's your favorite nursery? Big Oak Nursery in Elk Grove because oh. they've got a huge variety and the prices are right. There you go. <laughs> You've been listening to the commercials. All right. <laughs> yes. Good for you. Uh, now, uh, hey, Judy, uh, Big Oak Nursery, I think, is uh, going to be there at Harvest Day. Big Oak Nursery is one of um, Southern... Sacramento's gems. Yes, uh, it is a. There's just a few staff members there, but they're incredibly knowledgeable and friendly, and they've got an excellent selection of trees out there, yes. along with all the other uh, uh, plants they have too. But their trees are really nice. So yes, they are definitely going to be at Harvest Day. They have an educational uh, booth. They will be oh. there. Oh, yeah. good. And what else, Judy? And uh, at our front counter for Maria. <laughs> Marie, we will have a 2019 gardening and preserving guide waiting for her with her name on it. There you go. All right. Good job, Marie. Ah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Now, Judy, you don't mind me holding your feet to the fire on this. <laughs> no, no. Okay, Our gardening right. guide and preserving guide is so educational. The more hands I get it into, the better. Okay. And I know that the rest of your visitors are going to purchase one from us either at Harvest Day or on our website. They can buy it through our website using your credit oh, card. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. And wh- what what's that website? That website is uh, sacmg.ucanr.edu. You could probably just do an internet search on the phrase Sacramento County Master Gardeners. And you'll find us. And yeah. we also have a very good Facebook page, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, shout out to Dan Vieira for doing a lot of the work there. Yeah, we just hit a milestone with a number of our friends we have on our site. So we're very pleased. It's um, actually a, a Facebook page that Master Gardener programs throughout the whole state um, pass on. I don't know what the proper Facebook term is, though, but we're extremely popular. Popular. Share. So, so share. That's it. So it's uh, Facebook uh, slash SACMG. All right. Call in number five. In today's Garden Grappler, it's Phil in Moraga. I'm surprised he hasn't started laughing yet. Well, I'm waiting for you. I thought you were going to wait until we. <laughs> there. Hey, so, a shout out to Ted. Sorry, Ted. Yeah. We're cleaning your pruners. You missed out. Yeah. What a great show. Well, thank you. Uh, so, Phil, what's your favorite California nursery? Well, do I need to give you three or what? Um, my favorite is McDonald Nursery on Mariah Way in Orinda, California. McDonald? They, they got a great McDonald Nursery. Okay. They, they've, yeah, they've been there forever. Original owners, same family, just kept going. Place is great. Got anything you need. And people are wonderful. They treat me well. Then we've got Moraga Nursery in Moraga on Moraga Road. And his name's Kenny. It's kind of a small nursery, but he's got some amazing stuff. It's a huge property. 
he's just got to wander back, and he's got some really cool stuff, and he knows his stuff big time. And last but not least, Orchard in uh, in Mossette, California, Mount Gala Boulevard. I go there when I need some fresh flowers. <laughs> there you go. Who runs uh, Orchard Nursery now? You know, it changed owners. Um, I forget, because I had those guys booked years ago yeah. about California trees. It's a great book. Yeah. And I'd let somebody borrow it, so. Oh, I know. Well, yeah, like, you like tools. All right. Well, I'll send you a small book uh, for being caller number five. It's the Regional Recycling Backyard Composting Guide. Uh, it's beautiful. So I'll be you sending have some great. Oh, sorry, you have a great guest today. It's a really nice show. Thank you, Phil, and uh, appreciate uh, your input over the years too. Hey, Spider. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 All right. Good job. All right. There you go. Judy, what else is happening out at Harvest Day next Saturday? Oh, you know what we've added this year that's a lot of fun. We're doing botanical scarves. So we've, we have these silk scarves that people can come out and actually make themselves using flowers and leaves and uh, different colors from the garden. They'll make them there, put them in a Ziploc bag, and then they will solarize them in the sun hmm. to cook the uh, dyes into the scarves. And you end up with a wonderful piece of artwork to wear around your neck or give away as a gift. It's all part of Harvest Day going on next Saturday, August 4th, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on Fair Oaks Boulevard, south of Madison, in Fair Oaks Park, next to the library. It, it is Sacramento's premier gardening event. Anybody who's anybody in the world of horticulture is there. You can get all your questions answered, and it's free. And what more do you want in life? Even, even I'll be there talking at 8.30 about uh, garden time savers. Uh, Quentin Young will be out there talking about uh, unusual vegetables to grow, and Carrie Winbeal Rojas will be talking about cool tools and IPM stuff. It's going to be a cool morning, fun time, and uh, we're looking forward to meeting everybody. Come early, stay late. All right. Judy McClure, Gail Pothauer, thanks for coming out. And hey, thanks for bringing all that fresh harvested goods from the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. You're welcome. It was fun. Do I get to keep some of it? You absolutely may. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to get some tips on growing chili peppers and how you can even overwinter chili peppers growing in your yard now. Coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. My next guest wrote the book, The Complete Chili Pepper Book, A Gardener's Guide to Choosing, Growing, Preserving, and Cooking. Dave DeWitt, along with Paul Bosland, compiled what has to be the most extensive informative book on growing chili peppers that I have ever seen. I'm really a big fan of this book. And Dave DeWitt, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. I'm uh, looking forward to talking to you, Fred. I tell you, I am amazed at what I learned in this book about how to grow chili peppers. And what's interesting, too, is if you go online to Amazon to their Kindle edition and you start clicking around, there's a section there where the highlights that people have made in their own versions pop up. The biggest reference section in the book are your 14 favorite peppers, many of which are way too hot for my tastes. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, super hot chilies are the big thing now, and they have been for about the past eight years. And uh, people are doing traditional breeding uh, to even increase the heat more, uh, like the Carolina Reaper that just came out and, and set the all-time 
uh, Guinness World Record, and they find Guinness finally got it right, and you made people get it tested by several different university facilities and all that to make sure it was uh, done correctly because there was a lot of fraud in the early days of of super hot chilies, and those those are the big things. And I have to tell you, I don't eat them. Yeah, I don't eat <laughs> I, them either. <laughs> I, I've grown them. And I've made money growing them uh, and selling them to other people, but I, I can't eat them. I, I can't eat much hotter than an habanero that's diluted in some form into a hot sauce, and that's about it for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to consume peppers has nothing to do with your age or ethnicity or where you live or your gender or anything like that. It just has to do with capsaicin receptors in your mouth and tongue. They're, they're not taste buds, but they're similar in the sense that um, they only recognize uh, the active ingredient in chili peppers that makes things hot, which is called capsaicin, and it's unique to chili peppers. No other plant or animal in the world has this particular substance, a very powerful alkaloid. You know, this is a fun book to write. I'm, I wrote it with uh, Dr. Paul W. Boslin. He's my good friend and co-author on several books. And he is the, um, I guess he's probably the number one chili breeder in the country. And he's come out with so many different varieties, mostly New Mexican-type chilies, um, to help the farmers with, you know, uh, disease resistance and, and that, that sort of thing. Um, and also, he's done a lot of ornamental chilies, too. And so uh, he and I have been working so long together. It was like a joy to work on this book with him. And uh, what we tried to do was take the whole chili pepper scene from the choosing of which varieties to grow to the growing of those varieties, and then how to preserve all these things, how to cook with the, the chili peppers, too, um, which is an important aspect of, of the whole thing. So we tried, to, we tried to cover it, like, from seed to salsa, um, essentially. And I think we accomplished it. It was in hardcover for five years, and now it's just out in trade paperback at 1995, um, you know, available uh, all over the place at Barnes & Noble and stuff, and also online through Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Now, so. I should point out to our listeners that Dave DeWitt knows what he's talking about. He's an associate professor in the College of Agriculture, Consumer, and Environmental Sciences at New Mexico State University. And New Mexico State University is the mecca for chili heads. And if you've ever had a New Mex pepper, they came out of New Mexico State. And one of my favorite New Mexes, and I grow it every year, is the New Mex Joey Parker. Yes, that's a very good variety, and I, I might point out that the um, the variety uh, in California called Anaheim was developed in New Mexico, and the seeds were transferred around the turn of the 20th century um, out to Anaheim. Actually, uh, there were fields at that time <laughs> around Anaheim, and they were growing uh, what they call the Anaheim pepper, which is just a, a mild variety of the New Mexico um, pod. You know, one thing I've noticed about some of these really hot peppers Around here in Sacramento, they don't tend to fully ripen until almost November. And yes. then I, I learned in your book that really smart growers will actually grow the peppers for two years. Yes, yes. Um, as long as you don't have a, a killing frost, um, you know, all chili peppers are perennials. Most people don't realize that, but um, they're perennials that are traditionally grown as annuals in, in uh, you know, not non-tropical climates. And in California, where you don't have a frost in a lot of areas, you can grow them. I, I see, I had um, uh, some, of, some ricotto peppers. Um, this is Capsicum pubescens. It's the only species with black seeds and for nine years i had those peppers and they were in containers and i just put them in my greenhouse um and they would of course uh, drop leaves and all that and then i prune them back and put them in the sun and they come back 
Um, and that's pretty good for uh, a potted pepper to have it for, for nine years. So, um, And then I saw fields in Trinidad where they, they were actually biennial fields. I mean, they, they just did it for two years, and then they lost their vigor, and, and there wasn't enough production, and they replant. Um, so uh, it's interesting, um, and I, I didn't know this at the time, and it's not really in the complete chili pepper book, but every single one of the... Uh, super hot peppers, including Bucciolochia, originated in Trinidad. Okay, where yeah. they, where I mean, they don't get the a frost. <laughs> uh, you can think of, and the governor of um, Trinidad, uh, Lord Harris, got a promotion to the being the governor of Madras, India, and he transferred the Bucciolochia seeds to India, where they were called devil's pepper. So, and that happened in 1856. So, um the, the Indians like to claim that pepper is their own, but it's really, you know, an, uh, an American crop. All chili peppers and tomatoes were, you know, they're American crops that were transferred after Columbus. Um, uh, the peppers were transferred in 1493 on his second voyage. Now we and should, that's how it spread around the world. I should point out that um, here in Sacramento, we do get frost and killing frost, too. Our peppers usually are, are dead by the New Year's Day. So... Mm-hmm. I really like this idea of growing the peppers, especially the hot pepper varieties or the ones with a really long growing season, grow them in containers for the first year, maybe bring them inside or into a greenhouse during the cold part of the year here, which would be, say, December through uh, February, and then setting them back outside. And in their second year, what will that plant do if I transfer it from a container into the ground? It'll be very advanced, and you'll have a, a very heavy yield um, of peppers on it, and that's an excellent way to do it because it's already set, and, and uh, when the roots aren't constricted, um, uh, you know, of course, that, that the root system should match the top of the plant in terms of volume, uh, essentially. In other words, the size of the root ball should be about the size of the, the, the leafy ball on top of the plant um, for the best thing, and it could, you can't get that in a container, and that restricts... Um, the amount of uh, yield you're going to get um, as far as the fruits go. But when you put them back into the ground, they're not restricted anymore, and they can really take off and, and do extremely well. Um, and that's a good technique to use. The other technique you use is start the seeds early. I'm talking about start the seeds right now in a greenhouse. Start the seeds a, in a January. Southern, yeah, southern-facing window or something like that. And then when you put them in the ground in late April or, or May, they'll already be very established. And that's exactly what Janie does at chiliplants.com. And so when you get a shipment from her, the plants are fully six inches tall and probably have four sets of leaves on them by that time. And that's a good start for a plant that has, you know, a growing season that's at least 120 days. But as you point out in the book, though, you can't leave it in a small container for too long because then the roots start getting girdled. It may go through stress from lack of water and and develop other problems. So uh, I'm wondering if, if you're starting peppers from seed, perhaps start them off in a six-inch container, and then if you want to keep them in, in containers, move them up to a five-gallon container. Yes, that, that's the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, I have the, the trays that I use, the plastic trays that I germinate the seeds in, and then I thin them to, to one per, um, uh, you know, uh, section uh, in the in the and then I transfer them into larger and larger pots, and then by the time I put them out, they will be about the size of Janie's plants, you know. Uh, they'll be 
oh, eight inches tall with, um, you know, four sets of leaves and ready to go. And, of course, you have to harden them off a little bit. And, uh, you don't want to put something from your greenhouse right into the garden immediately. It has to give them a chance to adjust before you do that. But, um, yeah. Uh, so start the, the seeds early uh, and then keep them in containers for the first year and put them in the ground the second year. That is the ideal way uh, to grow a lot of the peppers. This is an excellent book, folks. I, I heartily recommend it. The Complete Chili Pepper Book, A Gardener's Guide to Choosing, Growing, Preserving, and Cooking. Paul Bosland and our guest Dave DeWitt are the authors. And Dave DeWitt, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Great talking to you, Fred. When we come back from the break, we're going to be updating the fire situation, the wildfire situation uh, throughout Northern California, upcoming garden events, and a lot more. We'll delve into the email as well when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, a lot of wildfires around Northern California responsible for the the smoke you see, the smoke you smell, the smoke you're breathing, uh, heightened ozone and uh, particulate matter in the air can make the air very unhealthy, much like it was yesterday afternoon throughout much of Northern California, so... Basically, work early. You should be wrapping things up now in the yard uh, before the air gets uh, too hazardous. And much the same as yesterday, because of the stagnant air pattern that's on Northern California, that's going to keep temperatures near 100 for the balance of the week, including today. Is smoke has nowhere to go, so it's 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 with us. And uh, as you might imagine, uh, the fires in Northern California uh, keep growing. It's summertime, and uh, it's just. Uh, Some are saying it's the new normal. In the uh, fire up in Shasta County, west of Redding in the Whiskeytown area, it's now 89,000 acres and only 5% contained. Evacuation centers have been established. How many homes uh, are affected? Something like 500 homes have uh, or structures have burned. 5,000 more are threatened and uh, no word yet on a possible containment time other than obviously with only 5% contained, they have a long way to go. So there are highway closures in the area up there in Shasta County along 299 and other roads. If you really want the complete information on road closures, evacuations, and things like that up in Shasta, a good website to go to is the CAL FIRE site. So if you do an Internet search on the phrase CAL FIRE incidents, uh, it'll bring up their current fire information for all the fires throughout California that uh, CAL FIRE is overseeing. Two other fires in Northern California going on in Mendocino County. The River Fire outside Hopland, 11,000 acres, 5% contained. The Ranch Fire northeast of Ukiah, 13,000 acres, and 5% contained. Other fires going on, uh, let's not forget about the Ferguson Fire down in Mariposa County, uh, which closed Yosemite National Park on Wednesday. And that fire has now covered 53,000 acres, and it's 30% contained. That fire outside most of the tourist attractions of Yosemite, fortunately. And uh, they're talking about reopening Yosemite next Friday around 4 p.m. or so, but warning that there will be limited facilities available. But do you really want to breathe all that smoke, which is the reason they closed it down to begin with, because of all the smoke that settled in Yosemite Valley But still, uh, the good news there is that they're going to 
uh, reopen Yosemite next Wednesday uh, on a limited basis. Uh, a lot of other fires uh, throughout uh, California that you can imagine. There's a one that you're not hearing much about uh, up in uh, Lassen County, west of Spalding, and th- that would be north of uh, Susanville, and that's 8,900 acres, and that's only 6% contained. So, you know, not only don't do anything stupid like, you know, throwing a cigarette on dry grass or something like that, but also e- even in your best efforts to control the threat of wildfire, you could be causing problems, which is why it's so important that if you're doing any weed maintenance as far as weed whacking or mowing in fields this time of year, do it early in the day when it's not as windy. Carry a cell phone with you so you can call 911 if possible. And also uh, keep water handy. If you're doing a limited mow, if you will, of your own property, you may have faucets around, and you should have a long enough hose with you so that you can use it from the faucet to wherever you're going to be mowing. And it's always a good idea before you mow or weed whack on your property is walk the area first and get rid of any obst- obstacles that may be hidden by the weeds but could spark if hit by a blade, such as a mower blade or even a weed whacker uh, that has a plastic blade or a metal blade. So walk the area first. Do it early in the day. Don't leave your equipment in hot, dry grass either. And again, uh, always err on the side of caution if you see smoke or a fire develop from your mowing or your weed whacking. Call 911 first and then jump into action with that uh, garden hose tip on your uh, hose. And you should have basically an on-off valve at the end of the hose so you don't have to run back to the faucet, turn the water on, and then run back to the end of the hose. If that hose can stretch to cover the area you're mowing, you can have a hose end on-off valve on there, so you just need to get to the uh, business end of the hose and and do that. But again, think about where you park your mower or your weed whacker if that happens, and make sure it's in a cut area, a cleared area, preferably. And, and again, don't do stupid things like driving off-road. They're calling that car fire, the one up in uh, uh, Shasta County, as, as a mechanical vehicle uh, accident. And and they haven't been very specific on what caused it, if it was a spark from the car or some sort of faulty muffler or catalytic converter or, or what happened. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But still, it was a, a vehicle-related accident that they think started that uh, fire, the car fire up in uh, Shasta County. And the, car, the, car, the word car fire, by the way, is spelled C-A-R-R, and it refers to Car Powerhouse Road up near uh, Whiskey Town where the fire uh, apparently had started. So be careful out there and don't breathe too much if you can. All right, upcoming garden events. I think we told you about Harvest Day next Saturday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Try to be there. It's nice. Going on today in the beautiful air-conditioned comfort of the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, it's the Sacramento Bromeliad and Carnivorous Plant Society show and sale. The Shep is at 3330 McKinley Boulevard, Uh, in East Sacramento in uh, McKinley Park, right across the street from the tennis courts. It's a free event, the Sacramento Bromeliad Carnivorous Society uh, plant show and sale. Sacramento County Master Gardeners will be in action uh, this coming Thursday at the Certified Farmers Market on Florin Road at 5901 Florin Road, where you can ask the Master Gardeners information table, get your garden questions answered, while buying summer fresh produce from the farmers at that farmer's market from 8 until noon. It is high season 
for farmers markets. And this tip, if you want to do any canning or preserving, it's always a good idea to hit the farmer's market and buy a lug of the stuff. Buy a lug of the peaches or nectarines or pluots or, or tomatoes or whatever you want to can or freeze or dehydrate and uh, have it all ready and set to go. Not that you, but actually, I guess working in a kitchen that's getting a little warm may be better on a day like today than working outside in the afternoon. All right. Next Saturday, the Tuolumne County Master Gardeners are holding an open garden day at their demonstration garden from uh, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. The demonstration garden is at 251 South Beretta Street in Sonora. That's uh, the campus of Casina High School, so that will be going on. And then also next Saturday from 10 to noon, the uh, Master Gardeners up in uh, Nevada and Placer County, this wouldn't, wouldn't be in Nevada County, have a class on monarch butterflies and milkweed in your garden. And that'll be at the uh, demonstration garden in Grass Valley at the Nevada Irrigation District grounds at 1036 West Main Street in Grass Valley. That's next Saturday, 10 until noon. All right. Coming up, KSDE Farm Hour, noon to 1 o'clock. Also available as a podcast, won't it? Yes. And uh, on today's program, uh, we... We update, uh, as you can imagine, the uh, the tariff woes going on uh, with farmers here in California and across the nation and the uh, $12 billion reimbursement plan to uh, ease the stress of farmers and their 2018 crop uh, from the Trump administration in, in case of tariff hits. And, uh, you know, every farmer I talk to about this uh, they say, you know, this is nice. Thank you. We appreciate this. But what we really want is a level, equitable playing field to sell our crops overseas. And tariffs aren't the answer to that. So sort of like thanks, but no thanks. But they'll still, you know, it, it's still the money still needed for this year. All right. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about that. And also we talk about roof rats that are invading orchards in California, doing damage everywhere. So we'll be talking about that. That's coming up next on the KSTE Farm Hour, noon to 1 o'clock. On this program next week, uh, our old pal Debbie Flower will be here, a horticultural consultant. We'll be uh, answering your gardening questions, getting set for August gardening. And we should point out that August is kind kind of a transition time for gardeners. It's a busy time, and it's a rather conflicting time because on one hand, you're still harvesting your summer crops your summer flowers too but it's also the time to be planning and even planting for fall for your fall vegetables and also planning for your fall landscape changes that you'll be doing as the weather cools down in september and october so we'll be talking all about that on next week's program thanks for listening to this i appreciate it don't forget if you missed any portion of today's program it too is available as a podcast you can find it at the iHeartRadio app or the iTunes app, or any of your third-party podcast aggregators. And uh, the same is true with the KFBK Garden Show as well. Time for me to get on out of here. We'll do it again next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Bye-bye.